It's the 2nd of July, 2013. This is the iDeveloper Podcast, episode 89. Mr. John Fox, welcome back to the show. I'm so happy to be here. You know, every time I have to miss a show, I'm, I'm worried that I will come home and find this, you know, this notice tacked to my door saying I've been, I've been put on permanent reassignment outside the podcast, effective immediately. John, would I? Oh yeah, I might do that too. So let's not even go there. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I'm really excited about our guest today, uh, Mr. Matt, with as many T's as you wish to put in there, Thompson. Hello. How are you? Thanks Matt? for having me on. It's, I'm quite well. It's great. Why don't you just quickly tell people who you are? Right. Uh, I'm Matt Thompson. I'm the mobile lead at Heroku, and you might know uh, AF Networking, Helios, some other things I've been working on. Uh, yeah, that's me. Matt with three T's. You're you're like you're like the character in The Simpsons. Hi, you might remember me from such industrial films as because you've written so much. Well, okay, I, I do get in trouble for that sometimes. You know, I, I go to these uh, these meetups, right, and I don't. You know, I, I don't like to keep a, a big public profile. So if people are talking to me, I might, you know, just continue in a conversation. Somebody, you know, and then they say, wait, that Matt? It's like, why didn't you just, you know, say that? And as hipster or whatever, you know, and they're yeah. just going, well, you know. It, it just happens. But do you ever, like, stay in character with NS hipster if somebody says, well, you probably, you know, you probably not heard of it anyway? <laughs> okay, obscure. so it's th- <laughs> too obscure. No, I think a lot of people are doing the, the mustache thing and they're, 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 they're really into that. Me, I don't know. I can't grow a mustache, so it's hard to stay in character. Okay. Now, uh, both myself and John, we use AF networking, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Helios. Um, So let's, um, assuming I've pronounced it the way that you would pronounce it. um, Sure, sounds beautiful. Just just give us a a real sort of quick overview, the big picture of what um, Helios is, and then we'll maybe sort of dig into sort of the whys, the wherefores, and the maybes, and the whatever else is. Sure. All right, so Helios, uh, as its tagline explains, it's one of it's an extensible open source mobile backend framework. But what that really means is it's making uh, mobile development easier uh, and allows you to focus on actually writing a really amazing client. And this just takes care of some of the essential uh, backend services that you might need. Uh, things like data synchronization, push notifications, uh, passbook registration, that sort of thing. Uh, that's going to be handled by Helios. Uh, it's a project. It's written in Ruby. Uh, it comes with a web front end, so you can actually see your data as it comes in. Uh, and it's a project that I launched actually exactly three months ago uh, in April uh, when I was in Paris. So this is uh, a pretty new project, but I think it's really exciting. Uh, a lot of people are really uh, interested in it and are starting to build some really cool things. Uh, and it has really, I think, a lot ahead of it. So, yeah. Uh, okay, so... Uh- First question that springs to mind is well, no, the, actually the first question that springs to mind is slightly different. One is, is did you go to Paris just to launch it, or you just happened to be in Paris when you launched it? That was that was part of this European tour that I did, this the speaking tour that started at the uh, Ruby Motion conference in Brussels, and just as a you know, confluence of different uh, kind of things that I wanted to do, I, I had the opportunity to go you know through all these different countries, Belgium, uh, down through France, uh, Switzerland, then over to Ukraine. Uh, and then finally ending up in, in, in Poland uh, for uh, various different conferences and, and meetups. It was, a, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, and it just so happened that this was, you know, I was in Paris when it was time to launch uh, Helios. And that was at uh, Paris.rb. 
So, you know, deploying deploying code from a, a shared internet connection off somebody's cell phone in in a classroom in, in Paris is is one way to do it. You know, that was that was pretty exciting. Was your Superman badge kind of glowing while you were doing it because you were able to do this type of thing? Something like that. It was, yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't know. Might have been just some indigestion. Hard to tell sometimes. <laughs> so. Gosh, Scotty, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to ask my, my first question that was my real first question before I asked my alternative first question. Um, was, you know, okay, you said uh, Helios is this back end that does all these things for you. Um, when you say does all these things for you, is this a, a solution where you, you fire it up and it literally does all these things for you, or it's a, a framework that allows you to put these things together once you've done some work? Well, you know, that's which the are we thing. talking about here? It's actually kind of both, and, and that's, that's an intentional design decision because a, a lot of people kind of aim for the, you know, five minute, the first five minutes, right? You want to have an amazing uh, launch experience. You want to get up and running really quickly. And a lot of people focus on that because it demos well. It's an easy sell. Uh, Helios, I, I, I want to get those those five minutes to be really excellent too. And I think I'm on on the way there. Uh, it's a really cool demo that you can hook this up. Uh, right now it's optimized for like iOS development. So uh, there's, there's this really slick uh, core data integration where you can actually take your core data model and import that, uh, actually link it directly to Helios, and all of the entities that you've created in Xcode with that visual editor, it will automatically create uh, corresponding models in, in, in Ruby uh, that is backed by a Postgres database. Uh, so you can have your web service talking to your application uh, pretty much automatically without actually writing anything. But obviously there are some things, there are some complexities uh, to web servers and web applications that uh, can't really be handled by this, you know, automagical behavior. The first five minutes is one thing, but what about the f next five days, the next five weeks, the next five months? Uh, when it comes to that, you need to actually be able to extend and uh, customize and really evolve this this application as your you know needs change too. Uh, so Helios, it's built on. Uh, I don't know how how familiar y'all are with uh, the Ruby kind of web infrastructure. Uh, thing, but it's it's based in the uh, on Rack, which is a web server interface. It's the same thing that Rails and Sinatra use. It's just a very simple, common interface. Uh, and if you are writing a web application in Ruby, you can put Helios anywhere in that stack, and you can you know keep all that behavior, uh, but extend it in really in, in ways that allow you to use the things you love, like Sinatra or Rails. So that's that's a value proposition. It gets you up and started uh, really quickly, but it also grows with you as your needs change. So uh, I'm utterly fascinated about this because for, for, you know, I got my career started doing back-end stuff with web objects a million years ago, and, and it was a great development environment, and, and, and I've just, I have always been amazed at how much easier and more scalable and less expensive it's gotten to, to produce the back-end. And it's almost gotten to the, the trivial point with, with services like, like Parse. I'm, I'm curious now, you know, Parse was acquired by Facebook. And you know, I think that maybe that makes some people nervous. Has that fact, you think, you know, added to any type of uptick and in interest in something that has you know a lot of the elegance, but but that you could you know you can control completely? Uh, absolutely. So, Parse. I mean, there's a very easy comparison to make between Helios and Parse. A lot of people right. uh, are are quick to say that this is like an open source version of Parse. Uh, and in a lot of ways, that's true. It has offers the same kind of functionality, uh, 
and you know I'm, I'm trying to get to the point where the user experience is about as good as you can expect from a, a mobile backend as a service provider. But the difference here uh, is that you don't have the kind of vendor lock-in that you might have uh, with Precisely. a service like Parse. So especially when you know a, a service gets bought by Facebook, uh, you don't want to build your business on something that uh, potentially volatile. Uh, you know, these, this is your this is your life, your livelihood, your your passion, and you're making a technological decision, but also a political decision, uh, mm -hmm. in, in a sort of way. So, yeah, that's that's what Helios is built on open standards on an open source. It's a completely open source project. Uh, I'm I'm creating it as part of my role as mobile lead at Heroku, uh, but that's believe that's because I believe that Heroku's development platform is, is the best way to make applications and scale them. Uh, so, you know, I don't have to. And make it some proprietary thing. I just think that people will choose Heroku if they if they value uh, you know agility uh, and and flexibility in their development cycle. So I mean, you could run this on any other web service, uh, but Heroku I think is going to be the best way to do it. So you own your data, you own your code, uh, and you can choose to run it anywhere. I think that's really uh, the power of open source and, and really one of the great value propositions of this project. And you know, a lot of a lot of times, people will build this, you know, build something because they they have to for an app they're passionate about. Is there is there an app that you were working on that you said, okay, this is kind of the the test to see can I make this app that I may have spent quite a bit of time making the back end work? Can I can I now make it you know at least much simpler, if not almost trivial, and and then to deploy the next and third and tenth application with 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 grace and ease. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. So, you know, the inspiration for Helios came uh, from the two years or so that I worked at Gowalla as, as their uh, iOS developer. Uh, and that was, that was a blast. I mean, that, that was an amazing application, really a fun team to work with. Uh, and in the process of that, I mean, of course, as app developers, uh, you're, you're working on the main app, but you're also, you know, tuning your skills and trying out new experiments on uh, kind of one-off projects, and, and that becomes sort of a proving grounds for new concepts. I know a lot of features and you know, several features in Gowalla uh, and and other projects were inspired by these these small kind of prototypes that you build out. So it was inspired by uh, that whole experience of, of building out, you know, side projects and and mashups and you know hackathon projects, that kind of thing. Uh, it's catering to the same sort of needs that you'd expect. Uh, but more more recently, I mean, uh, my my role at Heroku uh, has been to understand uh, what mobile developers need and and to do my best to make Heroku the best place to provide that. Uh, and part of that has been you know creating a lot of these internal applications, these uh, things that really haven't seen the light of day, but uh, you know again are proving grounds and uh, it's just a way for me to try and understand what people are building and how they're building it. So that that's really the inspiration and. Uh, Kind of the benchmark that I've been using to develop Helios on, uh, but yeah, no, no real public application that I've, I've worked on with that. But I'm hoping to change that in the next couple months. So can I can I just make sure I, I understood straight there? You, sure. This isn't something you're just building in your spare time. You're building this is also part of your job as Heroku to for doing uh, mobile mobile sort of uh, backends and deployment. Right. Helios is a project, it's an open source project that's sponsored by Heroku. They've graciously allowed me uh, about 50% of my time to, to really work on this. The other half of my time is split up between different uh, developer evangelism roles, uh, business development, customer relations, that kind of thing. So it's, it's a lot of hats with this role, uh, but this is you know, where I really get to focus on, on code and make something really cool. Okay, just, just very quickly without um, uh, doing... Too much of the sales pitch, 
but doing oh, sure. but doing enough to make it there. You've said that you've designed this can be deployed anywhere. If I want to take this and put it on my own web server and sort it out, that's fine. However, you've designed it coming from Heroku to deploy on Heroku really easily because you think Heroku is a great platform to deploy on. Some people may not know what Heroku is, so can we just have the, the sort of quick overview? Absolutely. Heroku is the best way to put web applications up on the internet. So it's as simple as creating a project. Uh, you can use it as a Git-based uh, deployment mechanism. You just Git push uh, to Heroku, uh, just like you know pushing to GitHub or something like that. You push your code to Heroku as, as a different remote, uh, and that'll automatically uh, start running your code. It'll support you know applications in any language, uh, Ruby, uh, Node, Java, PHP. It'll, it'll cover all of that. It'll automatically detect the kind of application and begin running it. Uh, it's, it's a really great way to develop. If you haven't tried it out, uh, go to Heroku.com. That's Heroku. It's like Hero and Haiku.com. And uh, give it a try. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a Heroku customer. The uh, iDeveloper TV and the NS Conference backends are all deployed on Heroku, and it's, it just makes life so easy. I'll, I'll ditto. I think Heroku is great. And I remember the first time I used it, I couldn't believe it, it was that easy. I was, I was, I was stunned. It made me feel like, like such an idiot that that I never was able to make anything even remotely as, as friendly. So. Right? No, that's that's why I joined the company. I remember I, I had a Rails, you know, did several Rails jobs in college as sort of a freelancing thing, and I just the nights that I spent uh, staying up trying to make Rails, you know, this is pre Rails one. Uh, projects trying to make them work. I think on DreamHost, uh, just uh, touch, touching dispatch.fcgi, just praying that something would work and that I got everything configured. Uh, and the fact that yeah, you don't have to worry about that, and it's really just an afterthought. It allows you to deploy rapidly and and scale up your application if you hit a lot of traffic. Um, yeah, it's it's a really cool product. So okay. I'm going to do a quick sponsor slot to make sure we fit it in because I'm terrible. I, Matt, I always forget to do the sponsors and they're very kind about it, but um, yeah, they sponsor the show, so we'll just do that. And then if we can um, just dig into maybe some of the features that you listed in a little bit more detail. John, I think I heard you about to ask a question, so maybe you want to do that before I do the sponsor slot or are you going to wait till afterwards? No, I, I can wait. Okay, right. You can guess who our sponsors are today, can't you, John? Uh, you know, something that just is, is just takes things over, just almost like invades your mind. And I, I can't think who. And it involves, involves some code, so maybe some invasive code. Ah. ah invasive code, invasive code. Everybody, Everybody loves, loves invasive, invasive code. code. We're going to get bored of that one day. Um, okay. Hey, Invasive Code are our show sponsors again today. We want to just say thank you to uh, um, the team there. Uh, they're um, iOS consultants, but they mainly sponsor the show through their training program uh, where they train iOS developers so if you have people you need to bring up to speed um, training now or maybe you've just been on the edge and you listen to this show but you haven't uh, really got into iOS yet then these guys do a range of courses all over the world um, to sort of a uh, you know, really intensive five-day course to get you up to speed or you can do a beginner course for three days or an advanced course for two days um, what we like about this company is their attitude no more than 10 people on any particular course, meaning you know, you know you're not going to be in a room with 60 other people all trying to fight for the um, trainer's attention. Um, they give you three months of support after the course, uh, so, so you can ask all those questions that you didn't work out during the time you were there. They have uh, seven hours a day of teaching, and then you get um, two or three hours in the evening in the lab to catch up, ask more questions, go back over stuff you didn't understand. You get all the materials, you get lunch, you get coffee, and they're a really nice bunch of people. Um, so what more could you want? Um, 
courses are, I think, $2,699 for the whole five day. Obviously, cheaper for the three and the two. You can check it out on their website at invasivecode.com slash training. Um, or sorry, training.invasivecode.com. I'll get it right one week, John. Uh, their next training course is August in San Francisco where Matt and uh, John are, or in September in Barcelona, in Spain. So um, please go check them out at uh, training.invasivecode.com. And if you fancy booking a course, if you use the coupon code IDEVTV-2013, you get 200 bucks off. What more can you want? So, uh, Jeppe and the guys at Invasive Code, thank you very much for sponsoring us and your support. We do appreciate it, and it makes the show possible. John, over to you. Okay, so I'm I'm curious about the the, the model there because you you said that basically it, it you, you link it 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 reads the, the the model file and then says ah oh, okay now I need to generate the equivalent server side models correct correct okay and so then then basically I'm assuming then you save it locally and then it takes care of of, of making the single source of truth on the server as well or does it save it on the server first and then kind of treats the the client side as a cache. Ah, so that's that's getting into an interesting point. So Helios itself is just the web server. It's just a web service uh, that has data synchronization that's provided through a RESTful uh, kind of convention. So let's say if a user model, it's going to have the slash users endpoint. If uh, users have many, uh, you know, favorites or whatever, it's going to be users slash whatever the username is slash uh, and then uh, favorites. So that's 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 what the data layer looks like. When it comes to actually implementing that on the client, you actually have uh, all the flexibility in the world and how you want to do that. Uh, so if you're using AF networking, you can do just classic, you know, AF networking. Get uh, get some JSON from the server uh, and then parse that into your data models manually. Or if you use AF incremental store, uh, actually, it's a really interesting uh, value proposition that now instead of writing a, a web service backend, instead of writing uh, a synchronization layer on you know in the client. You're just making core data calls, and you're never leaving core data. It's just all the web requests are automatically made for you as you do fetch requests or relationship faults. So uh, on the client, again, you have full flexibility. Uh, this REST web service can be used in Android applications or in Backbone or uh, Mac applications, really really anything. But uh, there also happens to be uh, a large number of uh, really tightly integrated libraries that you can use, uh, like AF Networking and AF Incremental Store. Uh, that make it really nice to develop with. You know, I, I would say this. You know, there's there's a lot of I don't know if if, if fear is the is the word, but you know, there's so many open source frameworks out there. There's so much code out there that, that developing apps almost seems trivially easy. But you said something that was was very true. It's like you know, it, they they all send, tend to like make it possible for you to slap something together in the first five minutes and say it's working. And then then you kind of you know become lazy and you don't really deeply understand everything that's going on. And then that comes back to bite you, and then you realize that that all this time that you thought we were saving may not have have been the case. I will go out in a line and I'll say, I don't know, I I am am such a big fan of AF networking, not only just because of what it does, but because it's so well documented and and such good examples and such good support built up around it that I'm I, I would tend to trust what you, what you're saying much more so than I would with 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 other kind of of, of sets of, of of frameworks that that purport to, to work together and solve such a, a really still gnarly problem. So oh, thank uh, yeah and, and, and I'm I'm very genuine about that. Um, I, I guess what I'm curious though is as you're designing this stuff, how much tension do you feel 
you know, to try to, to, to constant, to, to say no, because I have, you have to kind of think that it's like, okay, why do you want to make a backend? Well, for one reason is that you want to, to, to provide a backend for, a, you know, an iOS client, but then you think, well, we're in a world where we want to target human beings and not necessarily devices. So maybe some people want to interact with my, with my app or my platform through a web browser or through a Mac client or, you know, God knows a, a Windows client of some sort. Do you then do you then kind of say, well, I should do this because this makes it, it would make it possible for somebody to build a, a web front end around this, or you just say, no, this is really tightly solving this this one problem for for iOS, you know, native clients, or 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 you have kind of thought that you could go a little bit further afield. Right. So, as far as development goes, I think what's really guided me is that in iOS they're very strongly opinionated. Uh, well paved over paths on how to do things. There are conventions and standards. Uh, core data is one of those. That uh, the Xcode data model is is a very powerful kind of tool. You can visually represent things. It's a data format that uh, you know is well not documented but pretty self-documenting and it's understandable and it seems to be pretty stable. And that's a pretty good convention for how to model data on the client. If there were an equivalent. Uh, Thing on Android, or if there was an equivalent standard in representing uh, these model relations, I would I'd be happy to to support that. Uh, and, and in terms of the backend services, it just so happens that iOS happens to uh, kind of support the the largest uh, range of interesting kind of uh, services between Passbook and even Newsstand, uh, in addition to push notifications. So yeah, there there will be push notification uh, support for other platforms soon as other platforms. Uh, begin to have more compelling backend services. I'm not opposed to adding those later. It's just uh, as I was beginning developing this, it was what can I do? What's the one thing I can do well? And let's focus on that. And uh, it just made sense to focus on the thing that I have the most uh, experience with. And it just happens to be the what I think is the richest and best mobile platform to develop on right now. But I mean, Sorry, Scotty. Go, no, go on, John. Go on. Well, all right. So, so I think it's it's a fairly common scenario that let's say that you are you know, are building something that has metadata and media, and, and and you're editing it and consuming it on mobile devices, but you maybe want to publish something of it, right? And that that's available through a, a backend web service that that you could have a JavaScript client that pulls some 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 JSON data and, and modifies the DOM and makes something look pretty. So it sounds to me that you you could do something along those lines where where you know most of the interaction is coming from a high capability mobile device, uh, but that if 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 you needed to to have some very light JavaScript client for for it that's you know that's that's completely separate from the web front end used to to, to look at the data. That should be possible because you know it it is still you know a, a restful service that that is that's easy to work with. Is that fair? Right. Fair I mean, that's uh, to to put into a finer point. I mean, the fact that this data is portable and that uh, you know the convention here it's again it's not about it's a platform agnostic service as far as data synchronization goes. I mean, REST is a standard that a lot of people use, uh, and and to you know not to put too fine of a point on it, but the uh, web front end. Uh, that comes with Helios, the one that allows you to see your data. It itself is consuming these APIs, so it proves that it's it, you know it is a web. Uh, it can make web applications as well because ah. it is a web application. So, so it's really you're not using any of the Rails you know page generation. It really, is just kind of it's really doing fetching fetching the JSON in JavaScript, and and it doesn't have to. It, it, you could have run it anywhere, you know. 
Absolutely. Saying, oh, that's, yeah. That's saying, the, yeah. The architecture of the web front end. So again, this is, and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to kind of message this. This is a comp, this has turned into sort of a complex and uh, hopefully not too schizophrenic of a product. I mean, you have the data synchronization thing and that's the universal and all these backend services, uh, they don't have equivalents across. I mean, if you were to do the matrix of like uh, which platforms support push notifications, well, that's everybody, but only Apple supports passbooks. So that, that matrix kind of is confusing. Uh, but the data synchronization stuff, that, that's solid. Um, and again, the architecture of the admin interface, uh, if you, you know, create a Helios application, Helios new, whatever your application is, uh, and then start up the server, if you go to slash admin, uh, you're going to be presented with you know, a visualization of all of your, you know, a listing of all of the uh, records and entities that you have, all of your push notification registrations, and that application is written in Backbone. Uh, it's, it's a single page application and it's loading all the data the same way that you would load your data on the iOS client. So yeah, it's it's about uh, it's it's using these open open standards conventions uh, and you know all built around REST and the way that we actually develop applications. There are no secrets. There's no privilege. Uh, it's just a well architected uh, application that I'm just going to continue to iterate on. Mm. Okay, I mean we could we could go into lots of areas in this what I, what I would like to do and I know we've spoken about some of this already is just to um, quickly run through the sort of uh, the six main areas of features that um, you speak about on the Helios website and just talk you know, maybe in a little bit more detail now, we've done quite a lot around the data synchronization one already but let's still go there anyway just in you know just just to case there's a few extra bits you want to say so so really with the data synchronization service it's about um, you can give it a coordinator model from your application it will generate a bunch of rest apis for adding you're know, doing all the crud stuff on that data mm -hmm. onto some form of database behind the back end which i'm assuming if it's heroku is probably defaulting to postgres or something but uh, it's exclusively postgres that's uh because the uh, the new versions of postgres have some really exciting uh kind of data types that no other database seems to have. So that's uh, that's the default. And I much prefer Postgres to MySQL anyway. Sorry if you're Absolutely. MySQL fan, but you know. Um, so, and you, but you, you call it a, a sync service. So really, is it is this just a bunch of APIs which you can then use to put data on the server and get back? Or does it keep your core data model in sync with the data on the server? Yeah, how far is this going at this stage? Right now, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's a REST of, of web service endpoint, the same that any other would be. Uh, there are some interesting features that uh, I'm kind of looking into, especially with the future of AF Networking uh, 2.0. I think there are a lot of opportunities to, you know, take this to the next level and incorporate uh, real-time aspects into this too. So right now it's sort of a fetching thing where uh, the client gets, is always going to have an incomplete representation of the universe, the canonical source of truth from the, from the server. Uh, but you know, the, the less latency that, that happens between the two and communicating, uh, the more up-to-date and the more accurate the client will be. So it's just a matter of how, how much latency is your application able to handle? Like, what's, what's the right point there between performance and uh, network, uh, I guess, constraints? So, okay. so it's providing you a REST-based um, API to your data in the cloud that it's based itself on your local data model, but that's it. You now call those APIs and it's up to you to keep everything. It's not trying to do a REST kit type of thing where it's keeping everything in sync and doing all that sort of stuff. No, so that would that would be a client-side responsibility and AF Incremental Store uh, does that. I guess it would be comparable to REST kit or uh, Magical Record or something like that. But yeah, that's that's on the client. It's just giving you the kind of plumbing 
and, and conventions to do that. Okay, John, you got any more questions on data synchronization before I move on? No, we can move on. Okay, push notifications. Give us, just give us a, a we, we've mentioned this quite a few times, but maybe just take a step back a moment and just give us a, a, a the 30 second overview of what it's trying to achieve with push notifications. Sure. Push notifications, uh, the secret is that they're really easy to do once you have it all configured. Uh, I think there have been a lot of businesses that have been created around uh, the fact that it's it's difficult uh, to figure that first step out and you just kind of go with the first solution that works. Uh, but really, it's about as, e as easy to send as emails, if, if not easier, because you don't have to worry about uh, ending up in this you know, spam uh, folder or anything like that. It's a, it's a binary protocol. Uh, you just basically register with Apple uh, on, on client launch, but you need to keep track of that token, that 40-character token. Uh, it's similar to an email address, and this will store all of those uh, tokens in your, in your database and allow you to uh, use that in your application if you extend Helios uh, to then send push notifications on server-driven events. And so, you know, with this with this one fell swoop, then then you know, you basically obviate. And I, I hate to say this, but you know, it's an alternative to to either completely rolling your own or using something like Urban Airship. Uh, ostensibly, I mean, Urban Airship. Uh, you know, as as far as I know, their product they're they're focused. Uh, I think a little bit more on on marketing tools and and kind of understanding uh, your audience. But as far as that goes, I think that uh, the kind of applications that uh, developers are building and they, and they really like. It's not something that marketers are sending push notifications. Those aren't uh, the kind of notifications you want. You want events uh, driven by the actual behavior in the application. You know, if somebody right. messaged you, somebody followed you, something like that, rather than exactly that, that kind of thing. You know, right. fresh deals near you. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay, so obviously we're working through this nicely and getting a good overview. In-app purchases. Yeah, you know, on the website it says track and verify all the transactions made in your application. That sounds simple. What's, what are you doing there? Well, Apple provides uh, two ways to verify purchases, and it's actually uh, Cargo Bay is the companion application on the client side. Uh, that actually makes it easy enough that I think most people now begin to verify their purchases correctly. Uh, Apple uh, kind of left that out of store kit. It's, it's not the easiest thing to do. But between Helios and Cargo Bay, now it's something that everybody can verify, make sure their receipts aren't uh, invalid or, or cracked in some way. Uh, and in doing so, in doing this against your own server rather than directly to Apple, you actually have some uh, you know, bookkeeping. So you can actually track your purchases in real time uh, rather than waiting for a report from Apple. So it gives you a lot tighter analytics uh, and it gives you more control over the whole process. It's next. Next, pass. Sorry, I was talking, but I just muted my mic. I do that at least once every episode. Uh, okay, so you've just... Um, You've just talked about uh, using uh, the push, uh, sorry, not the push notifications, the um, uh, in-app purchase stuff in conjunction with, with something like Cargo Base. So it's, it's not, it's, it's, it, this is a, a connecting thing, really. Sure. I mean, again, there's, I, and I really need to figure out the best way to message this because it's such a, a kind of a comprehensive suite of uh, individual components that can be used individually. I mean, there's they're synergy, but there's also, uh, it's it's a federalist system, I guess. You know, each one is strong individually, but uh, you know, when used together, it actually works out really well. So yeah, cargo bay is on the client, uh, but you can do in-app purchase verification on Helios. Right. Okay. That's that's cool. But you don't have to use cargo bay. You could do your own thing if you wish to. Sure. It's all it's all you know HTTP. Okay. At the end of the day, we talk quite a lot on the website about um, 
client integration, but the point is these are optional client integrations. You can do everything yourself for all of these things we're talking about. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Passbook. Everything you need to interface as a Passbook web service, including pass registration, updating, and notifications. If you look into the Passbook uh, documentation, they have this whole thing about uh, creating a web service that updates Passbook uh, whenever information changes. So, for instance, let's say you have a pass uh, for a flight, you have a ticket to your flight, and the gate changes. Uh, that server, that notification is driven by the server in this uh, very particular way that Apple has structured their web, web service. It, it's expecting certain endpoints to react with certain data, and this is just doing that all for you. So anytime that a pass is registered, it's going to show up in your database. Uh, and again, this all this data is open. If you want to uh, incorporate that into your application, you can just you know, you can create new models to, to wrap these things or get the data directly out of uh, the Postgres database. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, if Whenever you need to generate those events or change something, uh, you can do it all through that. The thing is, this is also... Um What's the word I'm after? Neatly contained. It's, you know, you've tried to achieve something very specific here that you know, it almost, we do the overview and actually, well, I don't actually really probably need to ask anything else because we don't want to talk about different API calls and like, because that's very boring and completely useless. It's, it's completely useless in, in audio anyway. So <laughs> it's in there. Um, okay, so newsstand. Newsstand, right. Again, it's, 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 and, and that's, that's, that's sort of the theme, sort of to echo what you just said. Um, each one of these components, uh, the way that Helios is architected, they're individual, completely isolated components uh, that are based on Rack middleware. So again, uh, Ruby has this Rack web server interface, which is just a universal way to, to uh, create applications that have uh, different components that interconnect through uh, you know, HTTP routes. So message comes in, it goes through this different middleware and is handled by one application or another in the, in the stack. Uh, and again, so Passbook was one, Newsstand is just another. There are a number of, again, very boring web services that you don't want to write yourself. And uh, this Newsstand one will, will take care of that. Uh, it gives you a, uh, actually, actually Newsstand is interesting. It, there's, there are strong ideas on Apple's side about what uh, an issue in Newsstand is supposed to be. But there, as far as I could tell, not, not any strong conventions on how to model that very well. Uh, so this takes a stab at how to model that information in a way that uh, allows you to create a really rich newsstand application, uh, you know, anything like anything that you see in the App Store, uh, but it gives you a nice interface to upload new issues and uh, then synchronize that uh, against an Atom feed. So it's, you can make sure that you always have the latest issue up and available on the store, uh, and then you can integrate that uh, with the plist-based web service. So again, taking care of the boring stuff and... Uh, just providing pretty simple uh, functionality. And I mean, Newsstand is this kind of hidden gem, right? I mean, there's not, I mean, you know, the name set, you know, makes you think, well, it's only good for magazines and newspapers, but any kind of bag of content could be done with it, right? I mean, if you were doing whatever Absolutely. language training videos, you could do that, for example. I think it's one of the most undermined, uh, underused uh, mm -hmm. kind of resources. I, I think Passbook and Newsstand are sort of, again, yeah, hidden gems on the platform and we're only just beginning to see uh, what that's possible, what's possible with those. Yeah, I mean, you could like, you know, land in an airport, it realizes where you are, you know, geofencing, then, ah, here's your language lesson. Have, Absolutely. You know, have fun getting, 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 you know, the, the best miso, uh, who, who knows, whatever. Yeah, there's all sorts right. of cool stuff. I mean, this is, this is really fulfilling the promise and uh, kind of the hopes of mobile as a platform is that it's about context, it's about uh, rich features that integrate with 
again, yeah, context, what's going on around you in a way that's uh, seamless and really engaging, you know, not just you have to open an app and that's how that's the only way to interact with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something just as an aside, it's like, you know, if the average person has the number of, of, of apps on their phone that they are, you have a hard time guaranteeing they'll they'll ever ever launch it again. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm totally serious. Oh no, that's about that. that's if, absolutely if, true. If if your app doesn't have notifications and doesn't kind of come to the front in, in a way that the user kind of you know agrees to to have done, but you know if you don't if you don't give a, a great blast of something wonderful that the user wants to see, says wow that's really wonderful, and then you, you have to put it in front of them regularly. Otherwise, they're not going to launch your app. There's a, there's a tiny number of apps that people will manually launch regularly, and chances are at least in the beginning, your app ain't one of those. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, right, it's the same thing with web. Uh, I think there are eight websites that, uh, on average, that people use every day. And if, yeah, if you're not one of those eight, uh, that's, you, you know, they're not really a user. They're just kind of a visitor. So right. if you can, you have to justify your product in the, you know, make sure it's about as important as that Twitter client or that Facebook client or yeah. yeah, I would yeah. say I would say eight is probably at the high end for lots of people as well. Oh yeah, I'd say it's probably, probably for many it's one, people. and it's called Facebook. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, we have, we have one more logging in. Oh, analy- one more. Right. Logging in analytics. Right. Um, uh, this one is is fairly specific to Heroku because of the way that Heroku engineered its uh, logging infrastructure. And again, it's about simplicity and it's about using standards and using them in ways that uh, make a lot of sense. So uh, the way that Heroku structured locking is that anything. Uh, that goes out to standard out is in the log is something called logplex, and logplex can be consumed by uh, different add-ons uh, like Logly, which will analyze your traffic and uh, will tell you, you know, basically an aggregate summary of of the events that happen. So you can go in specifically and see what happened, uh, you know, minute by minute or second by second, or you can get these general trends. Uh, so what Helios provides is a single logging endpoint, uh, and this is really cool. You can just do a call to this endpoint from your iOS client whenever events happen. Uh, I have a companion library called uh, Antenna, which does that for you. So instead of NS logging to console, you can log to your web application and then make use of uh, Heroku's uh, logging add-ons to you know see trends. So you can see when people installed, where they installed from, or if they you know satisfied some some metric, uh, if they you know clicked purchase or you know tap the tap the buy button. Uh, you know it's it's really an open Again, these are boring things. It's giving you the plumbing to do interesting things with. Okay, so, I mean, that's a fairly eclectic mix of, of things. And I think it's important for people to realize that you have created something here that is a group of um, services as opposed to this, you know, Helios isn't an application that has all these things in it. It's a group of, it's a container for all these services. So going forward, do you do you see more services being added to this? Are there things in your mind that you would like to add to it? Or is it now about just making what you have there broader? Or but what's the what's the, the forward plan? I know you're only three months in, and this is a really, probably an unfair question. But what's oh, the no, forward plan? Oh, no, no, this is plan? a great question. Um, and there's definitely a, a plan going forward. Uh, in one direction, I would love to, I mean, it doesn't make any sense that push notifications are only supported by iOS. Um, so I'll be adding different platforms to that. Uh, you know, in, in the next couple weeks. So that's that's kind of the first thing. That's one of the most requested features. Uh, that's that's going deep and, and making sure that, again, that, that feature matrix, if you can imagine, you know, which platforms have which features, I want to make sure that uh, there's basically a one-to-one relationship between what platforms support and what Helios allows for. And I think I've generalized most of the structure and conventions 
to allow for that. So it shouldn't be too hard. It's just a matter of, of actually familiarizing myself uh, with, for instance, the way that Windows Phone uh, does push notifications, which may be uh, actually quite different. It, again, it's, it's, I'm just not as familiar. So that's one direction. The other direction is in uh, adding more services. I think there's one service that uh, really uh, is crucial, and that's going to be user uh, accounts. Uh, and that's something that was sort of the first service that I wanted to include in Helios right after data synchronization. But the problem is that uh, I, I found that web authentication, the state of that whole thing is pretty broken. Uh, there's no, <laughs> yeah. there's no standard convention for how to authenticate between a client and a server in a way that really makes a lot of sense. Like I, I, I'm still, I'm racking my brain to come up with an abstraction that is both scalable and just works. I don't, I think everybody invents their own authentication scheme whenever they make an application. So that's that's the state of things. Uh, still exploring real options there, but uh, that might be a bigger problem than even Helios is trying to solve. So, yeah, we'll be back so. in a year saying I've solved this one thing. <laughs> I finally got it, you guys. Passwords. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. So, um, just another thing. We've mentioned uh, quite a few times that this is you know a rack based. Um, uh, set of web services written in Ruby. Do people need to have any understanding of Ruby or anything like that at all to, to do this or really just enough to install a gem and get on with it? If you can install a gem and are uh, familiar with the command line, uh, at least so far as to run gem install Helios, Helios new app, and then uh, CD into the app and do Helios start, uh, that's about it. That's it's. You can use it uh, like, it's a, like it's an appliance, if you don't know Ruby, you don't have to extend it. Uh, and if you want to learn Ruby, actually, this is a pretty interesting way to do that. I, I mean, it's it's a really easy to understand application that's generated for you. I mean, it's under 40 lines long, and each component is very modularized. So if you want uh, to look at a project that's easy to understand and, and see how all the parts work together, I mean, it could be simpler. I think that's an important point because a lot of I mean I, I can I can admit that that to the extent that I've learned Ruby which and, and Rails which is very very limited it's because I needed a back end and, and I thought okay great you know Heroku seems really easy it's enough for me to to wrap my head around but but I think that there of course it's gotten better over the years but I think in general your your ability to master a new framework largely depends on how good the samples you you started with were in order Absolutely. to avoid making bad, you know, getting into bad habits. That's a great point. And I mean, it, learning Rails at the same time you learn Ruby is almost a disservice at this point. I mean, it's it's hard to kind of tease those two things apart. And Ruby is such a great language. Uh, I, I think that uh, Ruby on its own kind of stands out. Uh, and I think Helios does a good job of taking advantage of it in a way that, uh, again, isn't crazy. And you can actually kind of trace cause to effect. <laughs> Great, yeah, totally. So I have, I have, I have a, I mean, almost one last question. It's like you know, sure. Was was there a not list that you, that you had all along? Ooh, a not list. Um, I don't know. For uh, I think <laughs> Helios is is if you if you kind of look at it from a cynical eye, it it already looks like it's kind of doing the uh, kitchen sink approach. I mean, it really is trying to check a lot of boxes here. Uh, so maybe I should have said no more. But uh, no, I, I'd say that uh, these are all these are just sort of the ideas. I had a good understanding of what I wanted to build from the outset, so I don't think there's been uh, too much, uh, too many ideas to kind of distract from this core idea. Mm. 
But if you have any terrible ideas, I'd love to hear them. No, 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 no. And, and, and we, it, it, that's the thing. It's like this, you know, could you have possibly written this a year ago or two years ago? I mean, it's, it, it's from, from my, my perspective, it's, it's you know, you, you, only somebody who's written enough of this themselves and, and worked with colleagues trying to solve these type of, of problems, which, which, which are the, the problems that, that any modern, any modern app developer is, is going through. You have to have, you know, your, your, your data doesn't come from nowhere. It has to be stored somewhere. It has to get managed. You have to manage this flow of this stuff. So, I mean, it, it used to, when Steve Jobs came back to Apple, I think in one of his talks, he said, you know, it's like, you know, Apple gave you a starting kit that was the equivalent of like two floors or something. And then he says, you know, the, the, the next technologies are giving you 10 floors or 20 floors, whatever the, the, the specific analogy of is that you had a much you know, higher starting point and it was better designed and more people working on it. And that's the, the case with this kind of, of stuff. Um, I, I, I actually am curious uh, about what it is about Postgres that, 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 that you wanted to use that that made it possible to only use Postgres versus not even just MySQL, but but any other database. Sure. Well, I mean, when it comes to relational databases, Postgres is by far uh, the best option. It's it's a free database, and it's also happens to be as performant as pretty much any other relational database that you're going to find. And it just especially in the last couple of years, the feature set that's evolved out of it. Specifically, uh, you have something called HStore, which is a data type that allows you to set uh, arbitrary keys and values. So there you mm -hmm. go. No reason to use uh, any you know, something like Mongo, uh, a NoSQL solution like that. Uh, you know, all data has a schema, it, and making it explicit allows the database to actually work with you. It, whenever you just have these kind of random pieces of data floating around without any context, uh, that doesn't really scale. Uh, not architecturally, it doesn't scale technologically. Uh, and, and certainly as you kind of think through a problem, it makes a lot more sense to think about uh, data in a relational format. I mean, there's no reason why that, that shouldn't be the case. So the, I'm, I, I love the app. I love Postgres. Uh, Postgres.app, by the way, another, I guess, plug for that. If you're on the Mac and you want to get started with Postgres, uh, just you go to postgresapp.com. You can download it, uh, double-click the elephant, and you'll have a Postgres server running locally. No problem. Couldn't be easier. Well, there you have it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Postgres. I love it. It's... Um, after fighting with uh, MySQL for too many years, I actually find Postgres is a lot simpler to use as well. It's, well, it's, you know, it's not simpler as in because it's less. It's just it's just something it, about it, just, it I find easier. <laughs> I think it's the logical consistency. It actually just works. There we are. What a, a Mac statement. Thing. What a Mac statement that is. It just works. Oh, what, boy. A, what a place to end that. Uh, it, but we, uh, before we do end now, is there anything else that you feel that you would just like to say about Helios that we've not sort of, you've been saying, come on, morons, get into this subject that I want to talk about, <laughs> and, we've, and we've not been there yet? I will, I will very generally hint at uh, a direction to sort of a throwaway line I said. Um, real time, it's going to happen. Uh, mm. There is uh, AF Networking 2.0 is uh, something that I haven't been talking about too much yet. Uh, but in the next couple of weeks, I'll be announcing uh, some concrete plans. And uh, just over the last couple of weekends, I've been experimenting around with a really interesting way to bridge uh, the real-time web, which is the direction we're going. Uh, but there's, again, no strong convention or nobody kind of leading the way on how exactly to do that and make it work with existing RESTful web services. Uh, so that's, that's sort of where that's going. I think Helios would be an interesting proving ground for uh, that whole architecture. So stay tuned, I guess. Very, very interesting. Sounds exciting. Okay, um, thank you very much for that, Matt. That's been um, really good. I think we've given people a really 
good overview and digging a little bit into Helios and then I just need to go and download it and have a play and I should imagine there are thousands of developers out there who uh, could make use of this and um, save themselves an awful lot of grunt work um, and equally buying into something that's being actively developed and is going to be getting better all the time. The trouble is when you write this stuff yourself is you write it once and then you've got to make either live with what you do first time or, or constantly take a pick up a maintenance commitment so picking up something um, such as this which is got active uh, development behind it and uh, the support of uh, you know company like Heroku it's if it could work for you it's got to be a win situation absolutely okay just um Matt just tell people where they can follow you on Twitter blogs sure. or, or which I know this list have gone a little while because you do so much but um, oh, off we off um, we go uh, I mean, it's pretty consistent. I'm Matt with three T's on most web services, uh, most active on Twitter and GitHub. And uh, I write uh, every week. I write about obscure topics in Cocoa and Objective-C on nshipster.com. So check out those. Uh, and that's about it. Thanks so much for having me on, by the way. It's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure. John, people surely know where you're from by now, but just tell them anyway. Okay, well, you can find out all about my product, MemoryMiner, at MemoryMiner.com. If you go to MemoryMiner.com slash blog, you have a history about it. Uh, soon I'll be telling people about Findry because we're going to be shipping our iOS app pretty soon. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter as Jembe, D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Well, John, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Likewise. Thanks for having me on. Well, next up on... Uh... The I Developer Podcast this week. I have a, another uh, guest on the line. Well, not really a guest anymore. A colleague, partner, co-worker. I don't know. We haven't defined that yet, but please welcome Mr. Saul Mora. Hey, hey, how's it going, Scotty? It's going well, Saul. Um, do you want to just quickly tell people why I just used all those nice words about you? <laughs> Well, yeah. So, uh, so recently, uh, you know, um, at Dub Dub DC uh, 2013, you were in town. I was in town, and it kind of been on my mind for a little while. Like, uh, you know, rather than keep uh, keep NS Brief going as a solo operation, I was like, well, maybe I should talk to Scotty about you know combining forces and and uh, doing something together. And uh, you know, we had a chat. Uh, over at the festivities and uh you know just kind of thought hey this is a pretty good idea that uh, we should start working together at some level but uh but yeah it's 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 cool to uh to be part of the family here and it's cool to have you part of it i mean one of we've not really got anything totally mapped out yet but we've made the decision that um Basically, together we can provide a better service to the community than we can individually. Um, but that doesn't mean we're just going to suddenly now do one podcast, does it? it we, we, it's about re, um, just tweaking and focusing uh, NS Brief and the iDeveloper podcast and maybe resurrecting a maybe slightly dormant podcast or two um, <laughs> to create, and uh, maybe invite other podcasts in in the long run, who knows, uh, to maybe create a, a, a complementary set of um, material and resources for the developer community. So we're not fighting over the same guest or doing the same thing. You know, NS Brief. So we're going to look at how NS Brief can fill one f slot, whereas our developer podcast can fill another, and maybe another podcast can fill another. So that overall, through the sort of our developer family, we end up presenting you know some great resources together. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I've noticed that myself with uh, with the number of of the podcasts uh, coming out uh, these days, especially for Coco and uh, iOS developers. Um, you know, a lot of times other people will have a guest on, and I'm like, well, why didn't I get that person on? And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people say the same thing about my guests as far as <laughs> the other podcast. And uh, I really uh, hope that uh, you know we can all work together to kind of keep that same uh, focus and that that community feeling that uh, you know the old school uh, Mac developers had, where yeah, we were in competition, but we still work together, and uh, it's. You know, rising tide lift all all boats, the kind of thing. And uh, you know, I I want to see iDeveloper and uh, you know all the other uh, awesome uh, podcasty ideas you have uh, flourish. And uh, you know, I hope to keep uh, NS Brief going for as long as I can. And uh, this is one way that I think uh, I can achieve that. Well, we all have to chase you when it comes to guests. You're a guest machine. <laughs> well, it has to do with these conferences that I go to. You get to meet a lot of really great, interesting people, uh, you know, and and a lot of times it's like, well, they, these aren't like your classic, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, no guests that, that show up on every podcast. It's just somebody I run into. It's like, hey, you're interesting. You need to be on the show because everybody needs to hear what you have to say. And I find that to be the, the best way to get a guest. So basically, just to let folks know out there, for the next uh, you know, week or two, you're probably not going to notice any difference because um, it's going to take us a while to work some of this stuff out. Uh, there is a difference at the moment if you go to iDeveloper.co. Um, actually, I've changed the domain. Uh, you can still get to us through iDeveloper.tv, but um, you may or may not have heard the announcement this week that we're stopping doing... Um, production video as product for sale we still do some video screencasting or podcasting or vodcasting or whatever it's officially called when you use video um but we're not selling video products anymore so iDeveloper.tv seemed a slightly strange name that domain still all works you can still go there but um iDeveloper.co will begin to take over over the next few weeks um if you go there you already see there's an ns brief podcast um link on the menu what it does right now is take you straight through to the current ns brief um website to the ns brief podcast that saw hosts um and all other each podcast will still have its website or whether there'll just be one or any of that stuff yet but we just wanted to say community we're working together if you've got any thoughts or ideas let us know um and we're looking forward to it yeah, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to uh, seeing what we can uh, do together rather than uh, alone in our separate corners here. Yeah. I was very excited. I was, I've, I was very expressive, Saul. I've been waving my hands around and everything, but just <laughs> but realized that nobody gets to see any of that effort when it's on audio. Oh, man, we need to... Of... Yeah, it's one of the first things we need to do then. We need to have like this, uh, uh, you know, video show where you're all wavy and you get really animated and I can get you really excited about something and you just kind of start lunging at me like, hey, stop talking about that stuff. <laughs> I, I, do, you know, do you know what, Saul? We said we wanted to benefit the community and I think we've just <laughs> totally put them off. So I think we probably need to um, uh, need to pull this to an end. So, Saul, uh, obviously we've just said things are going to come together over the next uh, week or month or however long it takes us to sort it out. We're going to do this properly. Um, but there might be some people out there who haven't listened to NS Brief or, or yet, um, or maybe you did in the old days and have forgotten about it. So just just point them in the right direction and just give them the very brief 
overview of NS Brief so that uh, we can introduce some new people to it right now. Yeah, so uh, you know, as we were talking, uh, NS Brief is a it's a podcast. It's a, it's a weekly podcast uh, talking to just interesting people about interesting developer topics, and uh, yeah, it's. You know, it's it's been uh, been really fun to do. You can um, participate uh, in NS Brief. I get a lot of uh, of interaction on the Glassboard. So if uh, if you want to download the Glassboard app and uh, just talk to the other listeners, which is really fun, uh, I, I get a lot of good links and a lot of good information, and we have a lot of great conversations there as well. Just uh, grab the uh, the Glassboard app from the iTunes App Store. It's free, and enter the invitation code uh, NS Brief. Um, yeah, so uh, it's it's a really fun way to do it, and uh, I hope to get uh, you know hope everybody uh, listens to the show because uh, you know there's a lot of fun things out there, a lot of interesting uh, interesting topics to learn about, and a lot of great people to meet. So I'm looking forward to meeting even more people and uh, introducing even more people to the community. And um, congratulations are in order because I believe as we're speaking right now. The latest episode out is episode 100. Yes, that was uh, it's a, it's a milestone long time coming. I, I never, honestly, in my wildest dreams, th- thought I would do a 100 uh, podcast episodes. Um, but uh, this, the episode 100, uh, I didn't do any special live or, uh, you know, special retrospective or best of. Um, but I did run into a man by the name of Dave Thomas, and it's not Prague Dave. It's actually uh, another Dave Thomas. I met him at a conference, and we talked about a lot of really old languages uh, and, and kind of compared them to Objective-C. It's a really fun show. Uh, if that doesn't get you hooked, then I, I don't know. <laughs> it, those are the kinds of things that we talk about amongst other topics. So hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody likes that one. Well, I just want to congratulate you on that because, I mean, it's a milestone. I've just been sat here where you're speaking, trying to work it out. I've actually produced well over 200 podcasts since I started, um, but I've never actually reached episode 100 for any of them because I always change their title or something before I get there. <laughs> <laughs> we're on it. We're on 89 with the iDeveloper podcast, so um, yeah, I'm going to see if I can get it to 100 before I do anything else. Yeah, I, I, I didn't want to rub it in there, but yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you've only got 11 more to go, so I, I think you'll be able yeah, to hit this milestone, right? Yeah, it's just going to be rivalry, isn't it? I'm just going to have to keep pumping episodes out to beat you now. Well, that was but why I started are. doing everything weekly. I was like, well, i got to get Scotty to publish more. How can I do that? Well, I can just really 